The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Pray with me. Father, may this passage be life-giving for our hearts and minds today. Holy Spirit, give us understanding. Show us how to walk in light of who you are in this text. Jesus, help us to love you and to live like you. Father, we thank you for Justin and his willingness that he um, has to be obedient to the calling you place on his life. We ask that you use him today to speak to each of us. May we leave here transformed because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Shauna. Good morning, church. Everybody well? All right. Good to hear. Well, we are uh, completing the first chapter of John this morning. We only have 20 more to go. It's going to be a fun journey. I hope you have uh, utilized the, the, the journals that we've provided. It's been a gift. I've, I've, I've received a lot of feedback of how this has shaped and really transforming our reading as people are examining and observing the text. Uh, it, it's really been phenomenal to, to hear the responses. So I, I hope you're utilizing it. I hope you're reading during the week, coming in prepared with that text on your heart, having already mined some of the truth out of it, and then allowing God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, to speak to you and direct you, even as we meet this morning. As we've already read, we're going to be in John 1, 35 through 51, and what we've seen, kind of to catch us up in the story here, if you've missed a week, we started in John 1, 1 through 18, talking about a, a, a macro view of what this, this book is going to be about. And so what John, the writer of this book, unfolded for us in those first 18 verses 
was an overarching Christology, a, a, a big picture, the, the trailer of everything that we're going to be exposed to and see in this chapter. And, and we see some of these attributes of who God is displayed in the text. And this is called the prologue. And many, as we've already shared, uh, state, like scholars believe that this was written even after the rest of the book was written, that John went back to kind of give us an introduction to the book. And then last week, we talked about this guy, John the Baptist. And if, if John the Baptist were here, he's, he would say, why in the world are you talking about me? That, that, was, that was really his aim and, and really his, his focus is to point people to Jesus so why in the world, Justin, would you take a, a day and focus on me? If that, that would be what John the Baptist would tell us. He said, let's talk about Jesus. And, and John, really John the Baptist, different than John the author of this book, it might be a little bit confusing, but John the Baptist is very clear in his identity and his mission and his message and what it was that he was called to do. And so he says, I'm not the Christ. But he said, I am the voice. And he was very clear in that identity. And what we're going to read today, as we kind of jump in, we're going to see some of the first recorded words, at least the first recorded words that John records uh, of, of Jesus's ministry and mission and calling uh, to make disciples and to be disciples and to follow Jesus. Now, if, if you've been in church for any length of time, Christians have a tendency to utilize language and, and not define it. And I love, early on in the history of our church, we would walk through what we called the story of God, and we would ask people questions, and they would respond, and a lot of times they would use terms that only Christians know. For instance, sin. And, and, and we throw around terms, gospel, the Bible even, all of these terms, they need to have some definition because at, at a, a macro level, at a, at a kind of an overarching view of looking into these words, we utilize them a lot, but we don't actually have accurate definitions of them. And so when someone says, well, they were, you know, talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, they were kicked out of the garden because of sin. Awesome. What's sin? Well, sin is disobedience towards God. Okay, what's disobedience? And really helping people understand terms. Today, I would say we need to really accurately define discipleship. I think that's a term that we utilize a lot in the church, but we don't have maybe a good working definition. Maybe I'm in the process of discipleship. Maybe I am discipling. What is a disciple? These are terms that we need to define. And one of the interesting things, before planting our church, I had the privilege of spending time in several different churches around the U.S. And churches, these churches were much further along, much more uh, developed in structure and organization. And when I met them, I would always ask, what does your discipleship process look like at your church? And, and I think that's a great question for us to ask. Like I said, discipleship can be very broad, and people's methodology for discipleship can be varied. And so we need to understand how do we learn about discipleship? How do we make sure we're making disciples? Am I a disciple? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I discipling people to Jesus? Am I pointing people to Jesus? And this is all the call of what it means to be a disciple. 
Uh, several years ago, there was a famous article put out uh, and kind of made public by a very well-known large megachurch and their process of discipleship. And all this, this church was made up of several thousand people. They identified only a small handful of people that they've actually made disciples of. And, and, and I would claim that they're actually more effective than what they've found, because I believe the term can be broader than even how they defined it. Uh, but the concern still stands. One of the things they said, you know, we have 30,000 people who come and attend on, on a regular basis every single Sunday, but they could only identify 50 to 60 individuals that they've actually made disciples. And if we were to look at that, we would say they're not actually being very effective as a church. And we want to make sure, are we effective in our discipleship process? Do we have a clearly defined discipleship process? Are we making disciples? What is disciple? What is discipleship? And interesting enough, that's what our text talks about this morning. And so we're going to come through this together and hopefully define what does it look like for us to be in process in discipleship, make disciples, and how do we help bring others into that discipleship process? And so Let's start reading together. It says right here, out of the gates, the next day. And what I want you to see, if you kind of read the headings of the next few paragraphs written, we're going to see that this is a very detailed account of creation. He's going to say the next day, and then we're going to get down to Philip and Nathaniel, and it's going to say the next day. And then next week, we're going to jump into um, John chapter 2, and we're going to see on the third day. And Maybe at a casual reading, we, we kind of skip over the important detail that John is wanting to draw our attention to. If you remember, when we started the book of John, we, we looked at that first few words, that heading right out of John 1.1 that said, in the beginning. And if you're familiar with the Bible, our minds immediately go back. That's a familiar term that would draw us all the way back to Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning. And in the beginning, in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And this tells us, John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, what we see John telling us in these first few chapters, he's going to outline the first week of ministry in the life of Jesus. Why is that significant? Because we go all the way back to Genesis. What do we have in, in the early parts of Genesis 1? We see it is a week on the first day, on the second day, on the third day. And what we're seeing is John is trying to draw our attention to Jesus and seeing that what Jesus is doing, Jesus is bringing about a new creation. That's awesome. That's amazing that in the life of Jesus, our, our eyes should be open, our minds should be open, that he is bringing about a new creation. He's doing a new thing here with Jesus. And so that's very significant. And it says, the next day, again, John, not the author John, but John the Baptist, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, this word is, is kind of brought about here in the text, and it isn't given much definition. It's just that John is there, John the Baptist is there, and John the Baptist has disciples. Here's what I want to say out of the gates, okay? First thing. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone. So if you're here today, I would tell you you're a disciple. The question would be is, who are you a disciple of? 
I know for me, when I look at my kids, I have three kids, I look at them, and in many ways, they're mini-me's, for good and bad, right? They do things, they say things, and I go, oh, where'd they hear that before? Oh, that's exactly what I did, right? And, and they model us, they look to us, they're looking for instruction, they're, they're seeing us as their teachers. They're seeing us as the voices in their life that are speaking and informing them. And in many ways, we are discipling them, whether or not it's intentional or unintentional. You are, are discipling people. Your life is speaking volumes. Your life is, is teaching people, is instructing people. So if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, your life is painting a portrait, a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right or wrong. And I would also tell you that there's multiple voices and not just voices that are pointing us towards Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, but there's multiple voices in our life that are, that are instructing us in terms of politics, culture, theology, a framework for life, worldview, business, the, all of these things. There are voices that are speaking into us that are discipling us in their way of life. So we need to be careful who are the voices we're listening to? Who are the voices that are discipling us? Who are you a disciple of? Not all voices are equal. Not all voices are trustworthy. Not all voices are out to point us to Jesus. And some of them are out to gain attention for themselves. But what you're going to see here, John the Baptist is not about gaining attention for himself. He's about pointing people to Jesus. And this is why in verse 35, as we keep reading, the next day, we see this lineage of creation. John was standing with two of his disciples, people that he's investing his life in, that he's teaching. And he says, and he looked, and here's Jesus. <laughs> Talk about a perfect teaching opportunity. The Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, walks by, and John points him out. John sees Jesus and says, Behold, take, take your eyes, focus, look, the Lamb of God. And he uses this term again that he's already used in our previous passage. What did they do? It says the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now, if you're a teacher, if you're someone who's been investing in someone, I read this chapter or this verse and immediately my personal, um, what would I say? I, I, I feel in some ways that Jesus is a little bit threatening. And here's why. I've just invested my life in these people. I've poured my life into these people. I've, I've given them time. I've given them resources. I've, I've, I've taught them everything I know. And I go, behold, there's Jesus. And it says they left him and they went and followed Jesus. And John's like, what in the world? That, that would be me. And, and in many ways, that's what some of the others who saw this happening and, and occurring, they actually had the same question. If you go over, if you turn over a page in your Bible to John chapter 3, in verse 22, 
In verse uh, 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, and he was baptizing. John was also baptizing. Verse 25, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Okay, so... They're sitting there, they're they're seeing John baptized, they're seeing his ministry, they've watched John point people to Jesus, and people, people leave John and go and follow Jesus. And and they kind of come up with this question, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, talking about Jesus, look, he is baptizing. And all are going to him. What's this guy trying to, like, what, what, what's this question? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get under his skin a little bit, right? Like, he's, he's trying to surface, hey, you shouldn't be okay with this. This should, this should cause some problems. This should cause, like, you're not significant. People are leaving you to go and follow Jesus. Verse 28, you yourselves bear witness that I said, and this is John the Baptist, this is the answer, and he's reminding them, as we talked about last week, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. It's important to remember your identity as a disciple of Jesus, to remember that we're not pointing people to ourselves, we're pointing people to Jesus. And he says, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Here's what he says. In a wedding, no one is there to celebrate the best man. Okay? You ever played a best man in a wedding before? And you walk down the aisle and you're, you're like raising your arms. You think everybody's there to celebrate you. Right? No, you've never done that. People are there to celebrate the couple being wedded together and We're not celebrating the best man, and John knows his place. John says, look, I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. I'm just the one alongside. I'm the one who's coming alongside. The friend of the bridegroom is the one who stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. So what, he, what we see as defined in the Bible as, is the definition of discipleship is the one who follows Jesus. This is the way John frames and references that ultimately our aim in discipleship is to point people to Jesus. It's not to make disciples of us. They leave John. And I think that's really important for us to understand that if you call Ecclesia home, I really want to help us paint a picture this morning that you're not a follower of Justin. You're not a follower of our elders. You're not a follower of the Ecclesia way, if there is a way. You're not a follower of our methodology. You're not a follower of our pastors. And if I were to ask you a question, how do you know If you're following Jesus or you're following this this way of life or these pastors, take one away and see how people respond. We've seen it time and time and time again where maybe in in some ways that there is a a pastor who has moral failure and the the church collapsed because of it. 
And it just goes to show how so much of that church was actually following the pastor and not following Jesus. Jesus is still present. Jesus is still there. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still desiring to be worshiped. We think about methodology. If you've been with us every any length of time, you're like, man, this church changes things, right? Because we're just seeking the Spirit of God and we're seeking to follow Him, not away. And so you're, you're going, well, I, I was really like the, the structure or philosophy behind this way of doing ministry. And then all of a sudden we changed and we shifted and you're like, I'm out of here. And it just goes to show you're, you're following a way, you're following a methodology. I mean, given that the, what the methodology is, is biblical. But the question we, we have to, to really wrestle with is, are we following a way or are we following the way, Jesus? We need to be followers of Jesus. The word follow here in this text, because it, it jumps out at us, and, and if you maybe we casually read and we think about what, what's left out in the story. All that was told is, behold the Lamb of God, and it says, they left John and they followed him. And we're like, surely there was more that happened. Surely there was more to this event that, that took place to, to kind of uproot their life. But the, the word follow literally means to cast in their lot with Jesus. They burned the ships. There's no going back. I think back when I started college, I started pre-med in Texas. I was, I was working at the hospital in surgery. I was wanting to be a doctor. I started pre-med. I took all these science classes, and I felt like the Lord was leading me into ministry. And being a believer for only a few years, I felt way behind. And I just felt like for me to really step in and to commit to this call. Jesus was inviting me to kind of step in as, as a career to give my life in ministry professionally. And, and so for me, I, I, packed, I, I left college, went to Bible college, and got a religious education degree. Now, here's the thing. There's one thing you can do with a religious education degree like be a pastor. In some ways, this was burning my ships. There was no turning back. There was no way to go back. There was no way for me to, unless I went back to college, unless I got another education, unless I, it was a way for me to just kind of burn the ships and say, I'm fully committing to this. And this is kind of the picture that is displayed here in the life of these disciples, that they fully stepped in. They followed they, they, they walked the path that he walked. A, a familiar saying that was talked about in, in terms of following and being a disciple was to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Was a picture of as your, your rabbi, as your teacher, as the person who is discipling you is walking, as they're showing this way of life, as they're showing the rhythms and patterns of their life, you were to follow so close in step with them that you would be covered in the dust of that teacher. And this is a picture of what it meant to follow Jesus. So we see the next day again, John was staring standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
Verse 38, moving on. Jesus turned and saw them following. So they see Jesus and, and they just kind of pack up their life and they start following Jesus. And the first recorded words we have in John's gospel of what Jesus says, it says, Jesus turned, he saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? I think this is a great question for all of us to ask in terms of discipleship. When you're entering into a, a disciple-making relationship, what are you seeking? Now, we can look at this and, 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 and ask this question of the disciples and, and, and ask ourselves the question, was Jesus curious? Was Jesus wanting to know why they were seeking? No, Jesus was asking for them to evaluate why they're seeking. Why are they following Jesus? For them to really discern and assess what is it that they're hoping to find? What is it that they're looking for? And what Jesus is pointing out, because if it's anything other than Jesus, you're following him for the wrong reason. If you're looking for success, if you're looking for popularity, if you're looking for education, if you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for significance, it's not to say that those things aren't found in Jesus, but many times they're the byproduct of following Jesus, that we learn, that we grow, that we gain wisdom, that we gain insight, that he gives us purpose, that he gives us significance. But the purpose in following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus is being with Jesus. And so what I would hear, want you to hear is what Jesus is inviting them into Jesus is, is going to say that discipleship is more caught than taught. How do we get that out of this passage? Well, they asked the question, what are you seeking? And what did they ask back? They didn't answer his question. They didn't give him a response. What are you seeking? Well, we're seeking you. What are you seeking? And they go, where are you staying? Maybe it was a way to avoid the conversation. Maybe they really didn't know what they were seeking. They didn't know what they would find. But Jesus asked them a question, what are you seeking? And they go, where are you staying? We'll go with you. Jesus said to them in verse 39, come and you will see. Come and you will see. I love this picture of discipleship that Jesus portrays here because this is not what Jesus didn't invite them to, is he didn't invite them to a class. Hey, Jesus, we, we want to follow you. We, we, we want to give our life to you. Great. Meet me at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. I'll be teaching in the temple. I will give you the information, what that looks like to follow me, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Sound good? This is not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, here's an instruction manual of what it looks like to follow me, so I'm just going to give you this resource, read this resource, and you'll be good to go. What Jesus did was he invited them into his life. When they asked, they follow Jesus, Jesus turns, what are you seeking? They ask, what, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. This is the invitation to all of us that we're invited to come and see. <clears throat> a lot of times when we think about discipleship, 
we often think of showing up for a class, gaining some information, taking some notes, going about our way, and this is not the picture of discipleship that the gospel portrays. It is life on life. And that's not easy for a lot of us. It's inconvenient for a lot of us because we don't want to join our life to another. We, we loved our individualistic society that I take care of me. I get what I need. I find what I need. I don't need to let my needs be known. I don't want to get so close to people because people will know me. And to be known, they'll, they'll, they'll know all of my deepest, darkest secrets. They'll know my way of life. And my way of life is not one that looks like Jesus. And so I'll live in isolation. I'll live this individualistic life that pushes against this life on life that Jesus is pushing us into. And because of it, we never grow. There's not many who are seeking this life on life. I remember early on when we were first planting our church, we had just moved here from Texas. And there was someone who really kind of came on the scene who was super influential in our life and really someone that we gravitated towards and wanted to learn from. And I remember calling him. I I think we had only been in Salt Lake for about two months and he lived in, in Seattle, kind of the Tacoma area. And I remember picking up the phone and going, hey, can we move to Tacoma? Can we pack up our life? We'll just leave everything here and we'll move there because I want to, as, as someone who really models what it looks like to live in the everyday mission of God, I want to experience that. I want to pack up my family. I want to come and join. We want to live in your house. We want to, I was really inviting myself in. And, and that was a desire. Is that your desire? Are there people that you look to that you go, I want to join my life towards theirs. I, I want to engage with them. I want to see their way of life. And not to say that Sunday morning community groups, equip groups, that they don't accomplish that. They do. But here's what I would tell you. More than what you're going to gain from those environments, it's all of these environments are opportunities for you to be exposed to people to join your life with them. Most of us, as we said, everyone's a disciple of someone or something, most of us are being discipled and we don't even know it. Most of us are growing into maturity into Christ and we don't even see it because we're not engaged with people. It's hard sometimes to see the change and transformation in your own life. You need people on the outside who are looking in, who are, who are engaging with you, who are talking to you, who are seeing the growth, who are able to pinpoint, who are able to show you, here's how you're being transformed, who are able to ask you the question, as I told you several weeks ago, my college pastor who would ask me over and over again, what is Jesus teaching you? And it would cause me to evaluate. But more than a teaching environment, a classroom environment, Jesus is inviting the disciples into apprenticeship. Come and follow me. Come and see. In many ways, it it says that they came, they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for his about the 10th hour. It was a sleepover with Jesus. I, I, I love this picture, you know, like... They're going about their day. They see Jesus. Jesus, where are you going? Where are you staying? He said, come and see. Okay, we'll go to your house. We go to your house. We're following you. It's late. We're going to have to crash at your place tonight. 
And I love this picture because they are getting this exposure of life on life with Jesus. This is the type of discipleship relationship that he invites each of us into. Not just sharing the truth. If it was just about words, if it was just about news, and it wasn't about a person, then why does he send Jesus? If you think about it, like all of the gospel message could have been proclaimed in words. It could have been proclaimed in a message, but we're not given just a message. We're given a person. We're given Jesus. Jesus comes and he lives amongst and he says, come and follow my way of life. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we see this passage. So being affectionately desirous of you, we're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only the message, not only this truth, but also our own selves, our lives, because you've become dear to us. This is a picture of discipleship, that they want to not only share the gospel, but their life. We want to share our own selves. Let me ask you a question. What are you seeking? out of a disciple-making relationship? What are you looking for? Are you looking to engage Jesus? Are you looking to a relationship with Jesus? Are you following things of Jesus, but not Jesus? They followed him. They followed him. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. They claim that the other disciple is John, the author of the gospel, because he sometimes writes himself out of the story until he says that he's the most beloved disciple at the end. But it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And what's interesting about Andrew is Andrew, for most of the gospel accounts, is going to be referred to as Simon Peter's brother. Talk about living in the shadow of your brother, okay? Never is Peter referred to as Andrew's brother. It's always Simon Peter's brother. And we, we read that and go, you know, that's talking about like recorded history here. And I'm referred to in all of the world as Simon Peter's brother. That's how people know me. But that's not all. What we see in this text is, is that Simon Peter's brother is going to be influential in bringing people to Jesus. It says, They heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Discipleship is about helping others follow Jesus. Here's what I love about Andrew. If if every account of Andrew's life is recorded as Simon Peter's brother, the one other thing that is referencing Andrew is he brings people to Jesus. If there's any testimony at the end of my life that people remember, you can call me the husband to Amber, the dad to Jet Jackson and Lila Kate, But if people remember me as someone who brought people to Jesus, that's a win. That's a win. Do you desire for that to be your testimony? The significant role that you play 
in the kingdom of God is that you brought people to Jesus. If you read the text, it's interesting because we see that they find Jesus, and it says in verse 41, it says, he first found his own brother, Simon. He brought him to Jesus. If we read down into this next account of Philip and Nathaniel, this word found is used over and over and over again. Jesus finds them. They find Jesus. They go and find others. And this is the pattern in this disciple-making relationship that, that John's going to display to us. That part of being a disciple of Jesus means participating in the mission of God and finding others and bringing them to Jesus. One of the key ways, get this, one of the key ways you grow as a disciple of Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. To be on mission with Jesus. Here's what I love about this text. Is when we read this text, all we know is that he found Jesus and that was enough. Just finding Jesus was, an, was enough of a testimony to go and propel him to go and say, we found the Messiah and bringing others to Jesus. We, we read in this text that part of following Jesus means participating in his mission. And I'll, I'll present this, not as a way of, of guilt trip this morning, but as a, a practical application for discipleship. I received a message this week. Hey, Justin, we, we are considering not having 7 to 12-year-old class this summer. Why? Well, we don't have enough teachers. And I go, we'll find the teachers. We'll find the teachers. And here's why. There's... 25, 30, 7 to 12-year-olds in our church that would say, I want to be brought to Jesus. There's, there's 25, 30, 7 to 12-year-olds in our church who are desiring someone to disciple them, who are desiring someone to come and teach them about the Messiah. They're part of our church. They're part of our family. When we think about the calling upon our lives to go and make disciples, this is how we faithfully obey that text. That there are people in our church who are desiring to become a disciple of Jesus and mature in their relationship with Jesus. And maybe unintentionally, I'll give us the benefit of the doubt, we're neglecting them. We're not engaging them. So if you want an accurate, like a, a response, hey, I need, I need four people to commit to serve alongside this summer, discipling seven to 12-year-olds because they matter to Jesus. And we want to bring them to Jesus. It's a practical application. In Acts chapter 18, verse 10, it's interesting in this text, we read that the pattern is Jesus seeks you, you seek Jesus, you seek after others to follow Jesus. We're going to see this rhythm. We're not the initiator of faith. 
God is the initiator of faith. God is the one who pursues. God is the one who seeks. We're going to see in the story of Nathaniel and Philip that, that Jesus knew him before he, Nathaniel knew Jesus. Now, that may throw off all theology in your mind, and, and you're going, wait a second, hold on a second, I, I got to get this rhythm, because it seems like I chose Jesus. I, I get that, but let me just tell you, the Bible teaches Jesus chose you. Jesus pursued you. Jesus initiated the relationship, and you followed an invitation. Jesus pursued you, and we read in Acts 18.10, it's talking to Paul here, and Paul is, is conflicted whether or not he's going to stay in Corinth, and he says, for I'm with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And it says from that text that Paul stayed there for 18 more months investing. Here's what I would say. There are many people who are his. There are many people in our city who are his. There are many people in our church who are his that they need our investment. They need 18 months of our life to stay with them, to stick with them, to bring them to Jesus. The sovereignty of God and salvation or Calvinistic theology, if, I, if we want to get into like major terms here, doesn't propel us to not be active in sharing our faith. It should actually comfort us and give us the motivation to be more engaged because Jesus already has some that are his. And we just go and get to spark up conversation and he invites them into relationship and he transforms them, not us. That should give us comfort. Evangelism, as we see in the text presented, is simply telling people what you've found. Isn't that easy? I love that. Because when we think about sharing the gospel truth and proclaiming, we're so scared of what questions may be asked. Evangelism is simply telling people what we found. If you found Jesus, you have a message. Let's keep reading. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. This is Simon Peter. So, we, we see Andrew there. Andrew goes and gets his brother. He brings his brother. He said, I found the Messiah. He brings him to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Here, here's the point I want to make in this. Being discipled means submitting our life to another and allowing Jesus to transform us. Here's what I mean by this. If you read the text in Psalm 42, uh, Psalm 42, John 1, 42, he says, you are Simon, son of John, you shall be Peter. And Peter, the word there, it means rock. Now, having this word portrayed to him, I don't know about you, but if anybody's ever given you a sense of compliment or that sense of, of confidence in, in saying, this is who you are. There's kind of a, a shrinking back from that. I feel like that's how Peter is going to and maybe initially respond of going, man, I'm, I'm not a rock. But God is, Jesus is calling out this reality, this identity in Peter. I think this is a key point in our disciple-making relationship. Because some of us, we're entering in and we think that we need to become something to enter into a disciple-making relationship. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I will tell you that you become who you're meant to be through discipleship. That it is the disciple-making process that helps you step into your identity as a follower of Jesus. 
We made the mistake early on. We, uh, when we initially started Ecclesia, we had missional communities. And we told people as they stepped in, it was like they, they, they were coming in our front door and we were saying, you're a family of missionary servants. And I remember some of the early people like, I'm not a missionary. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm staying right here. And there was a little bit of pushback of, of calling people into that. And I feel like what we could have done better in that season was saying, you're becoming you are going to become a family of missionary servants. While that is your identity and that is who God has made you to be, there's an, uh, we haven't come to a full understanding or a realization of that yet, but speaking that truth over people and saying, you, you will become a family of missionary servants. You will step in to experience this church as family. You will experience you participating in the mission of God. And people began to step into that. I think this is key for many of us because a lot of us here, I'm, I'm a family of missionary servants. And you go, I can't do this. And, and, and I love in Matthew chapter 4 where we see the story of, of, of the calling of the disciples. He says, I'll make you into fishers of men. You're not a fisher of men. I'm going to make you into fishers of men. I'm going to disciple you into that identity. And he's speaking this truth. He's speaking this language and it's building confidence. This past week, someone, one of our leaders in our church called me and they said, hey, Justin, I just want you to, to, to hear what I'm seeing in you. And I can't tell you what that meant to me. That encouraged me. I won't share with you what it was. It's private. But I, I will share that it caused me to want to step more into that. I think this is a great practice to use with one another, with our friends, with our family members, with our kids. What are we calling people into? What are we seeing in them that they can't see for themselves? What are we pulling out in them? What are we saying, this is who you're becoming and really speaking that identity language into them so that we fully step into our full picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what, what Jesus does with Peter. He says, you shall become. Not to fill his head, not just telling lies to him, but speaking and declaring this truth. I'm going to make you. Discipleship is a process. Who you are today is hopefully not who you'll be a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. It's a process of transforming you if you'll submit your life. It really is coming. What Peter is doing is he's got to submit his life to Jesus, and Jesus is going to transform him. Next, 43 through 49. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. Here we go, the found language. Listen to this. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found of whom... Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and ultimately, here's what's happening. It's interesting, if you listen to Nathanael's, uh, Philip's language here, he says he is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The son of, that's different than how it's been described. He, he was described in John 1, the first 18 verses, the Son of God. But here, he's, he's taking this image, 
And, and what we're going to see from Philip is, Philip isn't the smartest guy in the world, all right? Sorry, Philip. I see you back there. Philip, he, he's, he's, he's needing some help. In fact, in, in John chapter 14, we, we, we read this, this picture of, of Jesus engaging Philip. And Philip's like, have I, have I not been with you long enough and you still don't know me? I mean, he, he's engaging him and he's like, come on, Philip, get it. And so Philip, and I, and I love this picture because this is who Jesus invites to follow him. If you know anything about these guys, it's not like they're the most prestigious group of people running around town. Like these are fishermen. These are everyday, ordinary people that Jesus says, hey, follow me. And they've made their lives available to go and submit to him and be transformed by him. And Jesus is going to use, these are going to be the pillars of our faith. These are going to be the apostles. These are going to be the people who would lead the church into growth and to, to see the advancement of the gospel move forward. We are standing here today because of these men. And yet, they didn't have a clear picture of the identity of Jesus. And Nathaniel, as he's engaged, because Philip's going to go and get Nathaniel and say, hey, come see this guy of Nazareth. And he's like, does anything good come out of Nazareth? And it's not that he's like dogging on Nazareth, but it wasn't like this iconic town. It wasn't New York City. It wasn't Dallas, Texas. It wasn't Salt Lake City. It was just some random small town city that someone would, would come onto the scene and, and somehow we would see this and this is the king, this is the Messiah. This is, doesn't seem right. So there's a lot of doubting. And what we see in this is discipleship is an invitation to be known by Jesus and to know Jesus. They don't have a full picture. We talk about John being the portrait. We wanting to identify the portrait that's defined to us here. We don't, we don't see a full picture of who Jesus is in this. And, and Nathaniel and Philip, they don't have a full picture of who Jesus is. But they're invited to know him. And we're going to see that grow. We see in this, this picture that Nathaniel asks and he, he doubts and how does anything good come from Nazareth? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now we have no idea what was happening in that event. We don't know what was happening, but there was a, obviously a private moment under a fig tree, and maybe that moment was something with God of the universe, an engagement, a private conversation. But in that moment, Jesus said, I saw you. I know you. How do you know me? Now, for you, maybe it's not comforting that you're known by Jesus. Meaning every, every aspect of your life, every thought, every behavior, everything you think in secret is fully made known, is fully open, is fully clear. And maybe you don't find that comforting. But here's what I would tell you. In the midst of an all-knowing Every thought, every deed, every action, he loves you. 
You haven't pulled one over him. It's not that you've kept something in secret that he doesn't know and that's why he loves you. He loves you just as you are. He wants to see you transformed. He wants to see you grow in relationship with him. He wants to see your life change, but he loves you as you are. He knows you. We think about this when we read the story. This opens the eyes of Nathaniel, the way Jesus knows him. How do you know me, Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're not the son of Joseph. You're the son of God. You're not from Nazareth. You're the king of Israel. He clearly identifies who Jesus is. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And I believe that promise is for every single one of you. That if we'll submit our lives to Jesus, if we'll ask Jesus, if we'll enter into a disciple-making relationship, if we'll follow Jesus, Jesus invites us to see greater things. We think that the fact that he knows us, that he is all-knowing, that seems miraculous in and of itself, but think about the adventure that these guys were about to step into. And that's what I say, discipleship's a lifelong adventure with Jesus. It's with him. The journey that he was inviting them into, I think of feeding the 5,000, of being out on the boat, scared to death, and Jesus calms a storm, seeing Jesus heal people, seeing Jesus transform people's lives, seeing Jesus raise people from the dead, and they get to go alongside and see and experience. And I love this. It's an adventure, and Jesus is inviting you and I into this adventure. He's inviting you and I to see greater things than these. And then he ends with this. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now we may not catch this, but this is a descriptor of what happened in Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis chapter 28, Isaac was, was praying and hoping that the covenant to Abraham, that there will be many offspring, that that would be passed on to Jacob, that Jacob would, would be a benefactor of the goodness of God and that, that he would continue to see that they would take possession of the land, that they would see an offspring that, that would number the stars in the sky. And we see that in Genesis chapter 28 that Jacob laid down and he began to dream. And in Genesis 28, it says that he saw a ladder and that ladder stretched to heaven and upon earth. And he saw the angels of God descending and ascending. And Jacob's response to this as he woke up, Jacob woke up and he realized in that moment, it, it was a, a picture, it was, it was a, a prophecy, it was a moment. And he says, surely God is in this place. And I did not know it. What's happening here is, Jesus is identifying himself as that ladder. The very picture back in Genesis 28 that there was a ladder between heaven and earth, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, he's revealing the reality of who he is, and he's saying, I'm the bridge, I'm the ladder, I'm the way. 
that the way to the Father, the way to heaven, the way between, the, the, the only thing that bridges the gap between heaven and earth is me. It's me. I'm the latter. I'm the one. And this is Jesus saying that Old Testament prophecy, I'm the perfect fulfillment of that. And because of that picture, he gave him his life. Nathaniel would follow him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And we're going to have a, a time of response. I know we're over time. I thank you for your patience. But I, I don't want us to hurry out the door today. And, I, and I'm going to ask you to experiment a little bit. If you're like, uh-oh, this is getting scary. Hang with us. I'm going to ask you to respond. And, and I, I just want to ask you some questions even as we get going and just have you reflect privately. Do you know Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Do you feel known by Jesus? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Do you see who you're becoming in Jesus? Are you seeking others to follow Jesus? Are you ready to experience greater things with Jesus? This is the invitation. This is the invitation, a, a call to be a disciple of Jesus. Not a disciple of Justin, not a disciple of Ecclesia, not a disciple of community groups of this way, but the way, the only way, the one who is the bridge, the one who is the perfect fulfillment of Genesis 28, that he is the one who makes a way to heaven. This is who has called and invited us to follow him. Our desire at Ecclesia is, is we long to make disciples. If you were to ask me, who, who are you making disciples of? We're making disciples of those who are submitted, those who are seeking, and those who are serving. You have to evaluate, am I submitted to Jesus? Is my life, is he the one who has authority over my life? Am I seeking to know him? Do, am I desiring to know him? And am I serving? It's not meant to be this flood of information that pours into our life and it stops with us, but it would flow out of us into the world. Are you submitted? Are you seeking? Are you serving? Do you know Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Do you feel known by Jesus? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Do you see who you're becoming in Jesus? Are you seeking to follow Jesus? Are you ready to experience greater things with Jesus? This is the invitation. What I want to do as a way of response uh, this morning is, uh, first of all, I want to identify about 15 people in the room who would say, I, I can pray for a group of people around me for one to two minutes, okay? So I, I want you to think. I know it's a big ask, and I'm asking you to respond. It's going to be simple. I'm going to ask you to pray for one person, and you can start thinking of your one person right now. 
In the same way that we see these disciples of Jesus respond in a way, they found Jesus and they go, I want to bring others to Jesus. I want you to think for yourself right now, who's one person in your life that you would say, I, I wish I could bring them to Jesus. I, I would love an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. I would love the opportunity to proclaim what I've found in Jesus. And the majority of the room, all you got to give is a name. That's it. Just a name. Billy, Joe, Frank, Jim, gals too, Susie, Sarah, all, all those. You have one person? Here's what I want you to do. If you're saying, hey, I'm willing to collect names and type them in your phone so you remember them. If I'm willing to collect names from uh, 15 to 20 people around me, would you just raise your hand and you're saying, I'll pray for that person? One, two, three, who else? Back, awesome. Okay, those of you who are raising your hand, would you stand for me? Awesome. These are the people who are going to pray. And if there's any more, I, I would have, just jump in. These are the people that you're going to share that name with, okay? And they're going to type it in their phone. And then we're going to have a time of prayer for all of us to pray for those names, to pray for those people that we're desiring to bring to Jesus this morning, okay? You got your name? Okay. Very chaotically, because this is disorderly, I want you to share that name with the person that is standing, okay? So you'll, you'll have to stand up, walk over to them, give them your name, the person that God has put upon your heart this morning. Okay, and as we, do we have all the names? Our desire, our longing is this picture of going, you will see greater things than these. We're asking God, God, will you allow some of these greater things that we're to see be the salvation of these people, be the transformation of these people? Those of you who have committed to pray, will you kind of pray over your groups very loud and, and so everyone can hear? Will you pray for those names? Two minutes. Let's go. Katie and Hip? 
Tristan. That's someone? Yeah, my teddy. Teddy. Love it. Let's say Clayton. Father, I pray for Alex, Sarah, Jake, Justin, Heidi, Katie, Tristan, Teddy, and Clayton, that they would come to saving faith in Jesus, that they would see the call and invitation that Jesus offers them, that they would see the love of being known by Jesus, of being invited to come and be a disciple of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunities that we wouldn't look to the world to disciple them, but we would disciple them. We would invest in them. Would you give us opportunities even this week to go and share what we found in Jesus? Lord, help us to see greater things. Help us to see transformation in the lives of these people we love and care for. In Jesus' name. Amen. As you're still praying and wrapping up, I want to invite you. We're going to, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together. Uh, our prayer team is going to be in the back of the room. And as you've already seen, uh, we're wanting to take steps towards prayer. And we believe that when we pray, God does things. God changes things. And we get an invitation and an opportunity to come and commune with God the Father. And our people would love to pray for you. As you have needs, as we mentioned even last week, we are not the Christ. We are a needy people. We are not self-sufficient, but totally dependent. And even Christ himself was dependent. Nothing he did, he did apart from the Father. And so would we come and bring our lack of sufficiency to God the Father who is sufficient to meet all of our needs? Would you come? There's people in the back with name text. We'd love to pray for you as we sing together. I'll pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for our time. Thank you for each of these names who are mentioned. And I pray, God, that we would see greater things in their lives, in our lives, as we follow you and we lead others to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.